My name is Angela Waters Austin, CEO of One Love Global, and I am joined by my co host, Sean Holland, aka Mordecai. And we want to welcome you to Transform Michigan right here on the Michigan Business Network. Transform Michigan explores the question what would Michigan look like if we were to transform system, policy, practice, and culture so that everyone wins? Transform Michigan will look deep into the topics of embodiment boundaries, harm, creativity, and more with people who are working to reshape our world and Michigan. This is a podcast of possibilities. Again, welcome to Transform Michigan. Welcome everyone to Transform Michigan. This is Mordecai. I'm so excited to be here. This is our second show in our HOPE series. And today we're going to dive deeper into the HOPE data as it relates to where Michigan fares, as it relates to community safety, health outcomes, and particular looking deeper into those issues. And before we jump into this discussion, this is going to be an amazing discussion. We've got two special guests with us today. And one is our very own Dominique Stepp. She's Director of Communications for One Love Global, and she's with us today. And Dominique, can you just say hello to everyone? Hello, everyone. I'm so excited about today's episode. It is something near and dear to me, being a mommy. So hello. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Dominique. And we're also joined by Alain Jafar. She is the program director for Birth Detroit. And she's here. I actually met her almost 20 years ago at Michigan State University when she was an undergraduate student there. And we were starting a student group. And she was a part of the founding members of that student group. And ever since I've known her, she's had a passion for medical equity and for babies and moms. And this is just such an important discussion today around community safety and the impact that it has upon our children. And so, Alon, we want to welcome you to Transform Michigan. Would you like to say hello to everyone? Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, I'm delighted to be with everyone today. Yeah. And so again, we've got a show full today for you, everyone. We're going to jump right in. And as we talked about the whole project and looking at where Michigan fares as it relates to some of the health indicators, really wanted to engage you, Angela, in and around the importance of this discussion. When we think about what's happening in Buffalo and what's happening in Texas and recently in Kansas City, you know, what is this conversation? Where does it sit with you as we're getting ready to head, you know, deeper into this discussion? Thank you, Mordecai. It's such a huge question. When we think about our conversation today about birth and about life, and as we approach what we're calling at One Love Global, the summer of life, what does that really mean? What does it really mean to hold life sacred? And to think of life as a continuum in our tradition from our African diaspora, you know, life is not linear. We often talk about life as beginning and ending, but we know life is actually a cycle. It's a circle. And part of our purpose for existence is to breathe that life, to sow into the next generation and future generations, and to do so from an equity perspective. So this entire HOPE initiative is really a conversation about what we believe every person in the United States should have. What does justice look like? What does justice for moms, for parents, for families, for those who are caregivers, what does that look like so that we're thinking of the life that people have, not just the life that they're given, and those opportunities that an equity frame and actually taking action to move policies and systems 
in ways that create optimal health and optimal family and all of those conditions. And also that means examining as uncomfortable as it may make us all of the ways that communities create less safety for moms and for families. On my heart this morning is a pregnant woman who was shot by police because she didn't want to lay on the ground. She informed them that she was pregnant and that she didn't want to lay on her stomach. And she was shot for not following orders. And so we really have to think about the nuances of what it really means to protect moms, to protect life, and to have a much broader conversation about what it really means to be healthy and to have a healthy community and to think about that and all of its complexities. That's something that when you think about it, it really, you know, chokes you up how we have to protect, you know, life and we have to have this conversation. Mordecai and I are going to take a quick break and we'll be back on the Michigan Business Network. This is Transform Michigan. Looking for office furniture on a budget? Stop by the office outlet at 516 North Larch in downtown Lansing and save. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. The office outlet has a huge selection of new and used office furniture from brand name manufacturers, all at discounted prices. Save 50 to 90% on used seating, desks, files, and more. The office outlet is your destination for office furniture on a budget. Visit us online at officeoutletyes.com. Welcome back to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. Follow Transform Michigan at Transform Michigan on social media. When we look at just across the nation, over 52% of the U.S. population does not have adequate access to quality health care. And when we look at the whole data, specifically for Michigan, which I thought was interesting, is that even in Michigan, 53% of Michiganders do not have access to quality health care and would categorize themselves as not being in good or excellent health in terms of their status. When we also look at infant mortality rates, Michigan scored 46 out of 100, which is really an under average score of equity. When we look at low birth weight, Michigan scored 61 out of 100. And so, again, as we spoke, this is the second you know, show in our HOPE series. And you know, it's important that we frame this, that Michigan ranks among the bottom states for health outcomes and environmental opportunities for African-American, Indian, and Alaska Native populations. And we have the greatest area of improvement. Wanted to really start with Lon to just kind of help us frame this discussion here. And can you tell us just a little bit about Birth Detroit and, you know, what your role and what you do at Birth Detroit? Yeah. So Birth Detroit, we like to say it's not a program, it's a movement and it's a justice response. We were founded by two public health professionals, myself and a colleague, Leslie Welch, and two midwives. So we have professional or community-based midwives in Michigan, and we have certified nurse midwives. And so we have one of each on our co-founding team. And we started out recognizing that hospitals and health systems were not the safest places for Black bodies, particularly in Detroit. 
And so we started our efforts by planning for a birth center, which is coming. However, after doing a community assessment in Detroit of mostly Black families, about 400 people participated, we found a need for immediate, easy access prenatal care. And so that was kind of what we're doing. We are administering prenatal postpartum care for families in Detroit. And then we are at the same time building a freestanding birth center in Detroit, which Detroit has never had led and supported by midwives. That's powerful. You know, as we, you know, surveyed our community and our focus in this HOPE initiative was really looking at community safety because that was one of the worst performing areas for Michigan was in and around community safety. And when we started having this discussion around community safety, we saw that it spanned the entire life, you know, the lifespan, right? And people talked about access to healthcare and, you know, being able to make a livable wage and transportation, just being able to pay their bills. And all of that was a part of this discussion of community safety. And so, again, thank you for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about, like, how did you navigate through the complexities of COVID? So I don't know how many folks had babies in the last two years listening, but if you can imagine how quickly the onset of COVID happened and the influx of patients into hospitals, we saw that many women, many families were electing or terrified to enter into health systems because of the possibility of infection, which was probable. And so when we saw COVID happening in real time, while we were kind of mobilizing to support people who were going into the hospital, and I'll also add that I'm a certified birth doula, I didn't stop working. I remember literally being in the hospital with at a birth. The baby had just been born. The nurse had come in with just a mask on initially. And then in the next hour, she had on full gear. And as I was leaving the hospital, it felt like a twilight zone. <laughs> so everybody had on face masks, everybody had on face guards. It was just changing in the moment. And so while we could not open our doors for birth, we did see people saying, I can't go to my clinical visits. My partner is not invited. And so we saw a lot of folks saying, I'm still pregnant. I'm still having a baby. So we were helping people change their care. We were also supporting families in childbirth education, just knowing what to expect and also knowing what to expect with new COVID protocols. So we actually started our work in June of 2020 and then started providing prenatal care in October of 2020. Thank you for joining us on Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. rates for a home equity line of credit? Ask for LaughQ. Stop in today or go to laughq.com slash home equity. LaughQ, your credit union for life.
I'm your host, Angela Waters Austin, with my co-host, Sean, aka Mordecai Holland. And we are your hosts for Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. Angela, when we talk about community safety and the impact of COVID and the disparities and how COVID, you know, overwhelmingly affected and impacted, you know, the African-American community across Michigan, as Alon is sharing, what came to mind is just thinking about like, you know, the nurse walking out, you know, walking in with just a mask and coming back in with full gear on, like, you know, that's immediate. So what were some of the things that kind of, you know, stuck out to you as she was sharing about that? That's an excellent question, Mordecai, and thank you for sharing that perspective, I think, is one that unfortunately far too many experienced as we had loved ones and ourselves get sick and unfortunately lost loved ones. But just the level of disinformation is one of the things that comes to mind and how people didn't have accurate information about who was most vulnerable, how to prevent the spread of COVID, even the fact that it truly was a pandemic and not just another kind of virus or the flu and that it was potentially fatal. And to hear you describe what that shift in information looked like in real time is disturbing because I didn't hear you say that they brought you a mask in gear and that they weren't outfitting the other folks. And so what it brings back to mind is, you know, as we unpack what community safety looks like, one of those indicators that we are really going to track and where we really want to see the goal close, that we want to, you know, move closer towards equity in Michigan is in concentrated poverty. Because we know that underneath the ability to access quality health care is resources, financial resources, and whether or not you actually have the kind of insurance where you have a primary care physician, where when you show up, you're going to be treated with respect and care, and where you actually have a relationship with the people who are supposed to administer health to you. And so we talk about, you know, all the ways the state can protect and doesn't protect. And this is one of those areas because we saw across the board that People were vulnerable, not because the pandemic affected their bodies differently. We saw that the pandemic affected people differently because of social economic status, ability to access healthcare and information. So again, COVID was one of those situations and continues to be a circumstance where we see the importance of health equity, especially when we are talking about reducing the level of risk and harm to moms and infants, stress, just the presence of COVID is just another stress factor for moms and for folks who are seeking medical care. So during that prenatal phase, how does it affect folks not to have a primary care physician during that really critical stage? So concentrated poverty comes up for me as that connector between how we actually build safe communities and how we make sure that children are being born into the most optimal conditions. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, you know, just the threat of poverty, right? And I wanted to ask Alon, you know, hearing what Angela is reflecting upon, where do you all see the most frequent inequities as you're dealing with young moms and families? Make a very notable comment is that, you know, Michigan is one of few states that actually surveils maternal mortality, right? For many years, we did not document when a mother died due to pregnancy or childbirth complications. Black women are unique because in our country and in Michigan, 
it doesn't have to be because of your social economic status. Black women are some of the most educated, well-resourced groups of people that are experiencing high mortality rates. And in Michigan, 52% of the deaths that happen to mothers are preventable. So that says to me that it's not because I don't have access. It doesn't mean I don't go to my prenatal visits. It doesn't mean that I didn't do what I was supposed to do or this famous medical term compliant in my care. It means that there is a systemic inequity functioning in our systems. And let's be clear also that gynecology and obstetrics were founded upon enslaved Black women's bodies. So there are codified medical education that deems us not as human as the next, right? And so this is a historic practice that, again, has been codified over time, and it still manifests regardless of a Black woman's education or economic status. You're listening to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. We'll be back. Sonair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sonair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sonair.com. Thank you for joining us on Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. Follow us on Facebook at Transform Michigan. When we are doing the work we're doing, again, this is why we can't wait on legislation and policy while we need it to become sustainable. We could not wait another moment for our eyes to be on the Black women in our community in Detroit. And so the nice thing about having an easy access clinic is regardless of a person's insurance status, regardless of their citizenship status, we can see them and there's not an indeterminable wait time to get into the care that they so need during pregnancy. And additionally, I will add that eyes on Mothers, especially in the third trimester and in the initial six weeks after birth, are so critical. Postpartum doesn't just end after the baby's born. Postpartum is actually a full year. And we're just now getting around in policy to really make sure that those folks have medical attention. And so again, Birth Detroit, we know what we know. We know ourselves. And so we said we need to have eyes on our people. And so that's how we started to address systems who weren't watching us, who didn't care about how we fared between birth and the sixth week, if we made it to the six week visit. Thank you so much for lifting that up. That is such important information, Alain, because in fact, the more educated a Black woman is, actually the more socially, economically mobile she is, the more likely she is to have issues with pregnancy. And low birth weight is one of those indicators that continues to be an unexpected correlation, not unintended, but unexpected because most of us don't know that health inequity is systemic. 
and that there are structures in place. And we have to get to the nitty gritty of why we're continuing to have this series, because we declared in Michigan, thanks to the governor, that racism is a public health pandemic. And what you just described is an indicator. It's one of the symptoms that we see. And so the higher education, actually the more professional, the more advancement there is, the more likely there is to be risk on the mom. So I want to bring Dominique into this conversation to hear some of your experiences. We're glad that you were able to give us that more personal experience as a mom, but really understanding so what it actually does when systemic factors influence and shape our ability to bring life into the world. Wow. I just learned something. I actually have a bachelor's and a master's when I had my son. And I will say that, you know, I always say that was my near-death experience. And I did also have my daughter during COVID. But, you know, in both incidents, you know, I was a little bit more seasoned when I had my daughter. But with my son, I had never felt so powerless. I never felt so unadvocated for. When I had my son, you know, we went in thinking everything was going to be fine. I was in labor for almost 18 hours before my doctor finally came in and told me that they were going to go ahead and give me a C-section. And unfortunately, after that, everything went downhill. After I had my C-section, still to this day, no one has ever explained to me what exactly happened. And unfortunately, me and my son's father were in Virginia. At the time, we're from Michigan. We were both attending school. I was finishing up grad school. And by this time, the family that did come to support us in this, you know, supposed to be a wonderful birthing experience had left. So it was just us. And my son was already home. None of my organs woke up after my C-section. So at that point, you know, I wasn't able to have a bowel movement. I wasn't able to go to the bathroom. I was steadily vomiting. I could not hold anything down. And eventually they had a infectious doctor come speak with me. And he informed me that they were going to be putting a tube up my nose down to my stomach to drain the fluid that was making my stomach protrude because I wasn't, you know, getting anything out just vomiting. And unfortunately, the nurses did not know how to administer that procedure. And my nose was so narrow, they were just trying to push it up to the point where my nose was bleeding and they had to bring in another doctor. And I overheard the nurses saying she had never done this before. She didn't know how to do it. So eventually, you know, another doctor came in and they gave me some water and they're telling me, you know, every time you swallow that water, we're going to try and push this tube up your nose. And eventually they did get it through and all of the fluid projectile and it came out. I was still in the hospital for, I would say, another two weeks. For three days, they had that tube up my nose. I couldn't eat. I actually had to like beg a nurse on a night shift to give me ice chips because I was so thirsty and so hungry. And she did sneak me some. So three days I had that in. They drained me. They took it out. I was still vomiting. They did not know exactly what was going on. And eventually they did finally just let me go home. Mordecai and I are going to take a quick break and we'll be back on the Michigan Business Network. This is Transform Michigan. Physicians Health Plan is local. For 35 years, we've been a part of your community, and we take pride in helping you get the coverage, care, and personal service you deserve. Go to phpmichigan.com for more information. We're the health plan that works for you. (laughs) 
welcome back to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. I wasn't home with my son and my son's father for eight hours before I started having violent diarrhea. I could not hold anything down. And of course, you know, my son's father, again, we don't know anything. So he's like trying to feed me mashed potatoes and I'm going to the bathroom. I would drink a cup, maybe like a lid full of water. And I was diarrheing out. It had to be almost like a gallon. And I knew at that point, if I continued to do it, I would die. You could die from, you know, dehydration. I call my OBGYN. I tell her, explain to her what's happening. She's like, don't come here. Do not come back here. Sounds like you had C. diff, which is extremely contagious. You need to go to the emergency room. So at this point, we're, you know, by ourselves. He takes me. I didn't want to take the baby in the hospital because he's brand new. They end up putting me in a hazmat room. They're coming in there with hazmat gear on. They're like, we have to test your stool. You know, your uterus is inflamed. We don't know what's going on. And if you do have it, your son has it. I was in the hospital for almost a month altogether after I had my son. They come back. They say it's not seated. We don't know what it is. Send me back home. I would say I was probably home maybe a week before I went back to my appointment and my incision was infected to the point where, you know, I had goo coming out of me. And I'm telling them, like, I don't think this is no, oh, no, but just go home, wash it, go home and wash it. Three days later, I come back. They're like, it's definitely infected. We're going to have to stuff gauzes in the holes that have protruded out every day. You're going to come back here and we're going to stuff these gauzes in these holes until the infection is gone. So after that, you know, I was traumatized and I told myself I would never have another child after that. I don't want to have another baby. And, you know, eventually, you know, you kind of forget about it, you know, and I really chucked it up to maybe Virginia being down south. Their healthcare system was a little bit different. Came home, Michigan. I had my daughter and I did feel like I was a little bit more wiser. And I told my daughter's father the same. My boyfriend, we've been together. Our second child, I said, please advocate for me when I go in there. You know, it's COVID. They really didn't even want him coming to the hospital. He wasn't able to come to any of the doctor's appointment. Please advocate for me. If something happens to me, make sure that I'm straight. Don't let them, you know, say anything to you that you know that I wouldn't agree with. And I wanted to actually get my tubes tied. And I'll never forget, they came in for me to sign the paperwork to do the tubing procedure. And the nurse was so rude and so mean to me. And she pretty much was straightforward. Are we doing the tubing procedure? I said I was interested in that, but I did just want to just get them tied. I don't want to get them cut. or We don't do that. Oh, no, we don't do that. We just take everything out. And I'm thinking, like, you guys are performing whole hysterectomies? Yep, that, yep. It's everything comes out. I'm like, that doesn't put you into menopause. I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure. But, you know, if you want to go ahead and do that, you need to sign the paperwork now. I said, no, let's, nope. I don't even want to do that. The entire time that I was pregnant with my daughter, you know, I kept telling them I wanted to try to have a natural birth just due to the C-section that I had with my son. No, you had a C-section before. You need to have a C-section now. It's more likely that you're going to have infection. You know, if we try to do it natural, that incision could burst from the time that you had before. I'm like, okay. And that time when I had my daughter, you know, I was trying to get out the hospital as soon as possible. And unfortunately, during the presidential election was when I started hearing the articles about the mortality rate of Black women during childbirth. And, you know, my family always thought I was exaggerating because they weren't down there. And I'm like, that was literally my near death experience. You know, you're seeing it now on TV. They're talking about it like this is something serious is really going on. And, you know, when I have these conversations with my friends who are also mothers, you know, we talk about these crazy situations that happen to them, you know, 
know, the pressure of getting a C-section, you not being listened to, they don't advocate for you, your nurses being rude because they don't look like us. If you come in there with Medicaid, they're treating you a certain type of way. So I don't have an expert opinion, but that is my personal experience that I went through when I did have my two children that now I advocate, let's do at-home births, right? Let's get a doula. What's the difference between your doula and an OBGYN, right? Somebody that actually is going to listen to you and advocate for you. Most of the women that I talk to now, they want to have water births at home. I think there is a shift that is happening with Black women in childbirth. So that's my little spiel. I think we have to just hit a pause here and appreciate, Dominique, you sharing this for the audience and the listeners across this globe, lifting up the stories of so many other Black moms and moms across this country in Michigan who are experiencing this right now. Thank you for joining us on Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. carefully planned conferences, and beautiful beginnings. That's what you'll find at Treetops Resort. We have an ideal location just minutes from I-75 and over 25,000 square feet of meeting and convention space. No matter what you're planning, let our spectacular views, spacious lodging, and outstanding customer service show you why Treetops is Michigan's most spectacular resort. Get a no-hassle quote for your next meeting at treetops.com or call at 888-TREETOPS. I'm your host, Angela Waters Austin, with my co-host, Sean, a.k.a. Mordecai Holland. And we are your hosts for Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. Alon, you know, how do we respond to this? How could this have been different with the right care? And, you know, there's a lot of misinformation that comes to mind. Certainly, you know, I deeply value the importance of knowing one, your rights as a childbearing person, and then also being very clear about what's in the place, right? When I teach childbirth education to families, even those who are planning a home birth, I mean, birth anywhere can become the most critical life and death moment. You literally stand in that intersection. And so I sit with people and I say, here's what it is. I know surgeries happen commonly in the United States. We do more surgical interventions in the United States than any industrialized country in the world. And it's not solely for convenience, but I think a lot of people don't know what it means to really prepare and that your body has to be ready. You know, we do a lot of medical interventions in the United States, which often increase a person's risk for surgery. And Dominique, I hold deeply, you know, I say to a family or person listening, if you are in a relationship and you're not married, you need to talk about, you know, what are your advanced directives? Because again, when things like this happen, your partner needs to be aware. And it's hard because, 
when it's only your partner, they may know less than you as the person giving birth. Doulas can go with you for whatever kind of birth you're having. Doulas are not clinical providers. Let me make that distinction. Doulas are important, but we're not the silver bullet, right? We help people know their rights. We help people know and ask their questions. We help people say, I don't want to do that right now. And we support that partner too, when mom can't speak for herself. Midwives and obstetricians are clinical providers. And let me also say 80% of pregnancies in the United States are considered low risk, meaning that they can be managed by a midwife in a hospital, or if someone chooses to have a home birth. Home birth isn't for everyone, but it can be. Unfortunately, we don't reimburse home birth. And the care is so much more one-on-one. It's much more personalized. Your visits are longer. But if you can't afford an out-of-hospital birth, then think about a midwife in a health system and get reviews, get information about these providers that you may be seeing in a practice. Obstetricians are surgeons. They are specialized, high-risk physicians. So don't assume that because you're pregnant, the only person that you can see is an OB. Consider midwives who understand the physiological normal course of labor and birth and the postpartum time and then get you a doula, (laughs) a doula who knows you. That is truly continuous care. But I think in a bigger system, we need more options for our care. We need birth centers, not just those little suites that maybe have a bigger bed and that it looks a little bit more fancy in a hospital. We need a place like a freestanding birth center where I see my midwife, I spend a good amount of time. They are the person who's going to catch my baby likely. We have conversations. They understand me. They understand my culture. They understand the context of my family. We need those options available to us, especially as Black women, because guess what? Guess who was catching the babies in the United States? They were Black midwives who spent time with you. You know, the grand midwives of the South was sitting your home with you for a week, feed you, make sure you had no infection because what I'm hearing you describe, Dominique, was sepsis, which is fatal. But midwives watch you. They caught that. And again, when things become out of scope, we need more help. That's when we call in a doctor. So we need more options in our care and we need reimbursement for those options. According to the Affordable Care Act, Freestanding Birth Centers is a coverable evidence-based. We have the data to support that this provides healthier outcomes, especially for Black and Indigenous families. ACA provides that this should be a coverable expense, but Michigan has chosen not to license, credential, or reimburse community-based birth, freestanding birth centers, certified professional midwives are not reimbursed by Medicaid or any other insurances. So I want to say that for the record, if we want to transform Michigan, we need to make sustainable structures of equitable reimbursement for all options of birth care. That sounds like a really key piece of the Michigan Breathe Act, this dreamy civil rights legislation that we're working on. Reproductive justice is clearly such a foundational element of us having justice in any other system. So when I think about what that means, you just talked a little bit about policy. So let's leap forward into the possibilities. Detroit Birth Center exists. What does it look like? What would people experience that's different from the care that they're getting now? I want you to imagine walking into a space that is warm and inviting 
that your midwife may listen to your baby and talk to you and your family, your children, your other children are playing at your feet. Everybody can hear the baby. Your questions are answered. Your visit is spacious. And when the time comes to give birth, that you are welcomed into a home-like environment where safe providers, midwives are watching you, listening to your baby and encouraging you to trust your body. Your partner is supporting you. Your children may be sleeping near you but they can come in at the time of birth. And then after you give birth, someone comes to your home and checks on you, making sure that breastfeeding is going well, making sure that infection is not setting in. And this is within 48 to 72 hours after you give birth. And then you're seen again at the third week and then you're seen again at six weeks. So there's a point of contact throughout that time. That's what it looks like in Detroit. What a vision. And that's what we're reimagining and that's what we're building. And I want to thank Alon and Dominique and my co-host, Angela Waters Austin, for being with us for this discussion. You have been listening to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. Please make sure to rate, subscribe, and review. You can also email us with questions and suggestions or feedback at transformmichigan at oneloveglobal.org. And you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and all of the social media pages and Facebook at One Love Global. Thank you for joining us. Again, you've been listening to Transform Michigan here on the Michigan Business Network.